It's Friday, April 17th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. There's still so much yet to be learned about the novel coronavirus causing the pandemic we are currently in. One such thing we still don't fully understand is the origin of the virus itself. State Department cables dating back to 2015 warned of safety issues at a Wuhan lab studying bat coronaviruses and potential human transmission. So while it seems that the coronavirus was probably not engineered in a lab, could it have somehow escaped from that lab? Josh Rogan, columnist from the Washington Post who obtained the State Department cables, joins us for what we know. Next, we take a look inside Italy's fight against COVID-19. Isabel Young, senior correspondent at Vice News, was embedded in the Lombardy region of Italy, a global hotspot for the coronavirus. While she was there, she reported from the Papa Giovanni Hospital and spoke to doctors in the ER and ICU about their experiences treating patients. She spoke with local residents about how their lives have changed and if they feel things are getting any better. Isabel also went to a local funeral to observe how social distancing has affected the whole thing. It's an emotional and informative look into how the pandemic has changed Italy, and you can see it on Vice TV. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. What we do know uh, is we know that this uh, virus originated in Wuhan, China. We know that there is the Wuhan Institute of Virology just a handful of miles away from where the wet market was. Uh, There's still lots to learn. You should know that the United States government is working diligently to figure this out. But what we really need, Martha, we really need the Chinese government to open up. Joining us now is Josh Rogan, columnist at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Josh. Great to be with you. I wanted to talk about the origins of COVID-19, the coronavirus right now, that the pandemic that we're facing. There's been a lot of talk about where it started. A lot of people have said that it came from one of these wet markets in Wuhan, China. For a time, people were saying it was a conspiracy theory, that it was created in a lab and that it might have leaked out. But right now, what we're learning is that you were able to see some State Department cables that warned of some safety issues at a Wuhan lab that was studying coronaviruses. Now, we're not saying if this specific thing was made in a lab or not, but the question is, could scientists have been working on it and it still escaped from the lab in some way? Tell us about the State Department cables and what we're learning. Sure. You are absolutely right. We do not know the origin of the novel coronavirus that's plaguing the human world. That's a huge problem because determining exactly how it originated is critical scientific information, not only for solving the problem that we have now, but for preventing the next pandemic, which will surely come in the future. Now, as you said, the first story, and this was the story put out by the Chinese government, was that it originated in the seafood market in Wuhan. And that seemed plausible as far as it goes until more and more research started coming out that seemed to show that it wasn't true. Chinese researchers found patients that had nothing to do with the Wuhan market. And then it turns out the market didn't sell bats. And then it turns out that the Chinese government went in and covered the place with bleach, which is like the opposite of what you would do if you were trying to do a forensic investigation into an outbreak. So that made a lot of people inside the U.S. government look around and say, okay, well, what else could it be? What else could be the origin? And lo and behold, there are two labs in Wuhan that do risky experiments on bat coronaviruses. And what I was given were these cables that show that as far back as 2018, U.S. NBC officials in Beijing had visited one of these labs and determined that it had lax safety procedures and warned that if that wasn't fixed, it might lead to a 
bat coronavirus pandemic. And now we have a bat coronavirus pandemic, so people are taking a second look at that theory. And the problem is that the Chinese government has censored and suppressed all the information that would allow us to know. They haven't provided samples. They won't make the lab available for inspection or interviews. They jailed everybody who knew anything about it, who didn't throw the party line. And the whole thing about a bioweapon is kind of a distraction, right? Because that was sort of a thing that came out earlier. But the truth is, there's actually zero evidence of the bioweapon. In fact, this lab was publishing its research widely, which is not what you would do if you were building a secret bioweapon. So the bioweapon thing, I think we can safely say, is not the case. But what might be the case, what we have to figure out is if this lab that was performing back coronavirus research made a mistake and there was some accident. That's what people are trying to figure out. This lab in question is the Wuhan Institute of Virology. What exactly did the State Department cables say were the safety issues there? I saw something about they maybe had a shortage of appropriately trained technicians and investigators there, but were there other safety concerns coming out of that lab? So when the U.S. diplomats got there, the scientists themselves told them that they didn't have enough sufficiently trained personnel to keep the lab safe. And the cables were calling for more support, more international help for these labs, so they, they could get their stuff together. And then the cables go on to say that there was a lack of coordination between these labs and the Chinese government, and nobody could really explain why that was. And that was just another concern. And then the biggest concern they had was that they were doing this research on how bat coronaviruses get transmitted to humans. And that seemed like important, but very dangerous research. And if that research was mishandled, it could break into a pandemic. So when you put all these things together, the people involved with these cables told me this was a warning shot. They were begging people in Washington to do something about this. Of course, nothing happened. And that's kind of where we are today. And as you were saying, some of this research there eerily almost kind of predicts what happened. You know, they were talking about how some of these SARS-like coronaviruses can interact with the ACE2, these human receptors that are identified in this specific one. So maybe it's this early research. It's all early calls to a possible something that could be really bad. So all of this is kind of starting to fall into place on this side of the thing. As you mentioned at the very beginning some of the other evidence to say that it came out of these uh, wet markets, maybe there might not be as much evidence there and a little more evidence onto this side of things. It's a circumstantial case either way, but the circumstantial case for the lab accident there is growing all the time. And you're right to focus on that ACE2 receptor thing. What that means is that the lab had proven that the viruses that they were holding could jump to humans. And that seems like a very risky thing to do, but also kind of a very important thing to figure out. Now, keep in mind that this lab is trying to prevent a pandemic by predicting how it might naturally emerge, right? So that's why we also can't rule out that it naturally emerged. But there's an explanation that makes both things true, which is that it sort of naturally emerged out of the viruses they were playing with and then escaped, right? So you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to add two plus two and see that it might equal four, But it's such a monumental sort of revelation, if it turns out to be true, that there's institutional resistance, first of all, from the Chinese government, because they're hiding all the information. Second of all, from the U.S. government, because actually they're not in the mode right now where they want to poke the Chinese government in the eye. We're trying to get medical equipment from them, and they're likely to blackmail us with it if we start accusing them of these things again. And then the scientists, like imagine the whole scientific community, what this would mean if the whole world is stuck in their homes. You can't visit grandma because this lab, which was raided and right. very well respected, if they if it turns out that they messed this up, well, that, that's going to force everyone in the world to sort of take a look at all of the labs, all the scientists that they're working with and get in their business. And this is the last thing these scientists want. 
So their institutional bias is to say, no, no, it definitely wasn't the lab. It probably was just Mother Nature that brought like a bat from Yunnan thousand miles across China somehow, and then somehow jumped to something that jumped to something and started a pandemic 300 feet away from the lab. The last question I have is, has there been any response from the State Department, the Trump administration, anything in reference to these cables that you've been able to uncover? So the Chinese denied it. This is like, okay, that's like basically what you would expect. Mike Pompeo said that we just don't know, right? That there's two theories. One is the lab and one is the market and that the intelligence can't figure it out. General Mark Milley, the head of the Joint Chiefs, said he probably thinks it wasn't the lab, but he's not a scientist either, right? So it's sort of like inside the government, they just can't say. Moreover, if they do say, that has big implications for U.S.-China relations, so they don't want to say So the cables are the cables. I mean, I I have them. I've seen them. They say what they say. That's not in dispute. What that means for how we approach China and how we approach this pandemic, that's what we've got to figure out, hopefully sooner rather than later. Josh Rogan, columnist at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Anytime. You have to pay attention because every nation has got its politics mm-hmm. on doing this testing. Yeah. Essentially, what we we do is testing someone who's coming in the hospital. If you're at home, nobody is coming to you and testing you. Mm-hmm. It, it might be that numerator is very big. Joining us now is Isabel Young, senior correspondent at Vice News. Thanks for joining us, Isabel. Thanks so much for having me. I wanted to bring you on to talk about this new report that you just did for Vice News Tonight. You can find it on Vice TV. It's called COVID-19, Italy's Tragedy. I have to say, the report is excellent. I just got done watching it. It's part cautionary tale. It's emotional. You spoke to people who have lost loved ones. You took an ambulance ride with EMTs to an emergency call at a nursing home. You went to the Papa Giovanni Hospital just to see how they operate. For us here in the United States, it seems like we might be getting a handle on it. We have a long way to go still, but Italy was one of the first countries to be hit so hard by this. And that's why I say it's kind of a cautionary tale. We're taking a lot of cues from the way other countries are reacting to this. And it was just an excellent report, a really good look into how they are handling it. So, Isabel, tell us a little bit. The first images we see from your report, are you taking that ride with an ambulance to a nursing home to pick up a woman who is having a really hard time with this? I wasn't in the ambulance myself. Um, I was in the car right behind. But yeah, what we saw was um, the EMTs working really around the clock um, throughout Lombardy region. And they were just responding to calls the whole time, which is, you know, this area is just really almost silent at the moment, apart from this constant sound of sirens that you can hear. And that is these EMTs responding to COVID-19 calls. And the EMTs, you asked them, how do you feel this is going to change or what's going to happen after this? And one of the EMTs said that they're scared that nothing will ever be the same. And where they picked up the woman, you know, they had to be part counselor almost. They had to walk her through it, tell her, hey, everything's going to be okay. We're going to help you. But as you mentioned, they're just doing this round the clock. They said they're just getting calls all the time. Yeah, it's I mean, one thing that was really striking was just how exhausted um, these people are. You know, they really barely have time to think about or process what they're seeing. But this has been a long time now. This has been weeks and weeks and weeks that they've been going through this every single day. 
And they are the ones who, you know, have the first point of contact with some of these patients who are absolutely terrified, often being taken away from their families. They don't know when or if they'll get to see them again, taken away from everything that's familiar around them. And they're the ones that are having to kind of guide them through this process. And they're having to do that in these hazmat suits um, in a really, really terrifying situation. And they show a little bit about how they get geared up head to toe everything and they get to the woman and they eventually help her. And from there, the report takes it to the Papa Giovanni Hospital. And this is interesting because they literally have a red line down the hospital, right down the middle, so they can separate people who might have been contaminated, workers that might have been around people with COVID-19 and people that are clean. And so this is one of the striking images that you see right off the bat is that literal red line in the hospital. One of the criticisms that Italy has had is that the virus has spread quickly, perhaps in part because people are going to hospitals and medical facilities and catching it there. So what they've learned is that they need to keep kind of the clean areas separate from the dirty areas. And they are very particular and very strict about that. So they make sure that anyone entering those contaminated areas with patients who have COVID-19 or have tested positive for COVID-19 are kept very separate. The tools are kept very separate. Everything is kind of separated in order to attempt to reduce the the risk of contamination. And tell us a little bit about how the doctors and the nurses are operating there. There's a lot of cramped spaces. The PPE, the personal protective equipment is obviously limited everywhere right now, but they can't even leave the room for their entirety of their shifts a lot of times because they can't afford to get rid of that PPE. They'll have to get brand new ones if they step out and step back in. These guys are real heroes, essentially going in on their shift. They're working five days on, two days off they have. They're going in there for eight to 10 hour shifts at a time. They're wearing their PPEs and they're not really able to go out into the clean areas, obviously, because they might then contaminate some areas. And it's really heavy work. It was kind of incredible to witness it. One of the interesting things about this whole pandemic, as much as we hear about it, it's hard for people that aren't going through it or don't know somebody personally that go through it to notice the severity of the whole situation. And we have these stay at home orders. Some people don't like it and all that. But you ask the doctors there to give advice to other people, other countries. And one of the first things they said, stay at home, limit the social life. You have to practice all that social distancing because that is one of the things that helps them in these overloaded healthcare systems. These doctors and nurses have seen it all. I think about over 100 um, doctors and over 30 Italian nurses have so far lost their lives from this epidemic. So they are obviously on the very front lines of of seeing this. Um, But yeah, one of our goals was really to get to the humanity, get to the human toll of this, because I don't think we've really seen the, the real cost of what is happening and how incredibly serious this is. And everyone really had the same message, which is, yes, you have to stay at home. You have to take this seriously because the cost is just so immense. I want to transition a little bit to that human cost and the toll that has been taken on the country. I want to start off in the hospital and then I want to move to you know how funerals are changing. But first off in the hospital, it was a very emotional kind of eerie moment when they took you into the room where they had all of the personal items for people that have passed away. And I think you asked the worker there, Hey, well, you know, what percentage of people probably died from COVID-19 in here? And they said all of them. And it's just bags of stuff of things that people left behind and family members can't even go pick up because of quarantine rules and things like that. So the, the hospital we're at Papa Giovanni hospital is the, the biggest hospital in Bergamo. And They have about a 30% survival rate of people who are going in there with coronavirus, which means that seven out of 10 people just aren't coming out alive. Um, And that is really horrific to see. And it's really struck home when you see these rooms full of 
plastic bags of people's belongings and these plastic bags aren't picked up by family members who would usually pick them up because the whole country is obviously under lockdown still. Um, and it's just really heartbreaking to to see, you know, such an undignified and sad departure. In the United States, we're experiencing a lot of loss, nothing on the scale that Italy has gone through. And we hope to avoid that fate for our loved ones here. There in Italy, there was a couple of moments where you showed images of how churches have just a ton of rows and rows of coffins. The priests there are doing blessings there. And a lot of people are foregoing traditional burial now. They're doing cremations. And just kind of that whole thing is just a different thing, a different departure for them. Well, I would say that, you know, the U.S. has now overtaken Italy to have the most deaths um, from coronavirus in the world. So the U.S., I think, is very much treading in Italy's footsteps. Um, but yeah, when it comes to the deaths of these people, you know, a lot of people are very scared that these bodies could still be contaminated, that they could um, catch something. Also, I mean, large gatherings or any form of gathering really is prohibited. And so funerals are really, really rare. We did attend one of a lady who died in a in a nursing home. And so her case wasn't actually confirmed to be coronavirus. So they were able to have a very small funeral with immediate family only, which given the current circumstances, is just really heartbreaking because it just strikes home how how many people are grieving at the moment. And you don't really see it because everyone's inside their homes and they're grieving alone, but it's eerie. You spoke to a lot of people about the government response as well. You also spoke to one of the officials from the Lombardy regional government. How do people feel about the response that has been taken there, both on the side of the officials and both on the side of the public? Because you spoke to some members of the public and they said, Really, nobody believes the numbers as far as cases and death rates, but they do feel like it's getting better. There are signs of hope. I think everyone had the same message that we really need to be very cautious when we think about that sign of hope. You know, the daily death toll is decreasing and has decreased consistently in Italy. But at the same time, we don't know what the unofficial numbers are. So Italy only tests um, people who get to hospital, people who are in critical um, cases. And so there's a whole wealth of people who are either dying in nursing homes or dying at home, too afraid or unable to get to hospitals themselves. Um, and we spoke to a lot of nursing homes. We spoke to a lot of people um, who had family members who had died at home and weren't officially counted in that toll. Um, so we do suspect the number is much, much higher. You know, everybody's looking forward to when we can get back to normal, reopen our economies, go back to business as usual. One of the officials you spoke to there about this very same thing, they said, be patient. It's going to take some time to get life back to normal. Yeah, I mean, that's the message um, across the board, really, from any officials that you talk to in Italy. I mean, there has been a very slow opening of certain bookstores or certain stores in other parts of Italy. But in Lombardy region, where it's been most severely hit, I think it's going to be weeks, if not months, before we see any real signs of um, things going back to normality. And those are the same messages we hear in the States as well. You know, it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of effort by everyone to pull through on this. Everyone that we were talking to, including the doctors, including the officials, um, everyone was saying that, you know, if they do loosen those restrictions, they will see a second, if not a third wave. And it could be even more grave than what we've seen so far. Isabel, it was a great report. It's called COVID-19, Italy's Tragedy. You can catch it on Vice News tonight on Vice TV. It's out now, so just look for it. And uh, it, it is really a good look into how Italy is, has been handling this. Isabel Young, Senior Correspondent at Vice News, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much, Oscar.
that's it for this week. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.